Awesome. Good morning, Calvary. How are you today? Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, congratulations on making it to church today. And those of you watching online, we love you. God bless you. Our hearts are with you today. Uh, grab your Bibles, if you would, please. Grab a notebook. If you're here today and you need a Bible or a notebook, we have them available at the different stations in the sanctuary. We prioritize uh, God's Word and taking notes because God is always speaking to us. Amen? Amen? How many of you believe God has a word for you today? Yes. Amen. May it be done unto you according to your faith today. Uh, so Marie and I are excited to share with you this morning on the love of God and the love in relationships. And so we're going to talk today about all kinds of relationships so everyone can grab value from today. Uh, but you saw in the video there that Marie and I have been together a long time. 23 years ago today, I proposed to Maria. Yeah. And just a quick background, we met in high school. Uh, I was a junior. She was a freshman. Uh, we were in a play together called West Side Story. Yes. I was the lead Puerto Rican, so God even Maria. had a thing for Puerto Ricans in my life. I was not I was Maria. Bernardo. People ask me, am I? Go ahead. You're oh, on. Yeah, people ask me if I played Maria. I did not play Maria. I know. Um, can I get an aww? Thank you. No, no. I was, <laughs> I was, well, I was a freshman. That's probably primarily why. But you were in the choral, the dancing yeah. area, which is where I saw her. See, what I saw was she was, first of all, beautiful, is beautiful, but it was beautiful back there even then in her freshman year. See how I caught myself there? I said, same thing. Got it. It's always been beautiful. But I noticed her in the choral line, and she was dancing. I remember how graceful she was. She had much, I think later on I found out she had some dance background and things, but she was just like gliding, and these other girls were like clunking along and stuff. And, and then she just caught my eye, you know, and I was like, wow, what meaneth this, Lord, you know? And, and so I started to, in play practice, try to impress her and give her all my, you know, comedy routines, and everyone else was laughing because I'm hilarious. <laughs> but she wouldn't give me a smile. She wouldn't give me a laugh. She made me, she looked at me like, what? this look. Come on, guys, you ever gotten this look from a girl? Like, what is this? And I gave up on her. I did. I he gave up. He threw away my cheerleading pin. I was I, a cheerleader, I, and I had, you know, the little picture. Remember back in the day, you had a pin of your kid? Like, he threw it away. I, I was done. I was like, well, I gave her my best humor. I gave her my best stuff. She didn't want anything. That's fine. I'm done. And I had a buddy of mine that was interested in her as well. So I looked at him, and I said, all right, man, I'm out. Fine. And he was just like any old friend. He's like, okay. And he, like, was going after her. And I was like, come on, bro. And uh, what happened was we were in play practice. I twisted my ankle, I think, or something, and I had some ice on it in the back. And she walked by, and she was like, oh, did you hurt yourself? And so she paid attention to me and began to show compassion on me. And my little radar went up, and I was like, hey. <laughs> this is all I had to do was break my ankle. That's awesome. <laughs> Wish I would have known that, you know, a long time ago. So we started kind of hanging out a little bit. She started giving me a little bit of attention. I began to uh, get to know her mom because her mom was helping us in our play with getting our accent right with the Puerto Rican accent. Uh, her mom is, is Cuban. She's a Spanish teacher. And so I thought to myself, I am going to make an ally with her mom. I've always been strategic, right? And so I would go in and I'd work with her on my accent over lunch. And during that time, so knowing that at some point I was going to ask this beautiful young lady out, and our junior, senior, or our prom, which is our, our theme today is prom. Well done. Many of you dressed up. Would you give a hand clap to all of our volunteers and teams and all of you that got involved in our 
kind of spirit wear week in our, our prom weekend this weekend. But for us, prom is a big deal because that was our first date. I asked her to a uh, 90s Christian rock concert, uh, the band Guardian, if you're familiar with Guardian. Uh, we were, yeah, come on now, Power of Love, Miracle Mile, great band. Anyways, uh, back to where we were going no, with No, you this. didn't ask me there. No, well, no, what I did. It was, it was the cast party. It was the cast party. The Guardian concert was the ga- cast party. That was party. the cast party? Yeah, that was, that was the cast party. But it was still the Guardian concert. Yes, but you didn't ask me to no, the Guardian concert. No, I wasn't concert. done telling him a story. <laughs> we'll let him share his side, and then we'll get to my side. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Bob. All right. So we were at the Guardian concert, as I was saying. <laughs> and I arranged it for all of her friends to not be able to take her home from the concert. <laughs> I, went, I went and found all of her friends, and I said, you can't take her home tonight. They're like, yes, I can. I was like, no, you can't. You need to have an emergency and not take her home so that I can take her home tonight. Well, in that, she was nervous because she's a freshman. My dad was not going to let some strange boy take me home. Can I get an amen, dads, out there? Yes, I said, and so I walked over and picked up the payphone because, you know, we had payphones. We didn't have cell phones, right? This is, anyway. Uh, so I picked up the payphone and I called home and my dad answered. So I was telling him and he was getting ready to come pick me up. But in the background, I heard my mom's voice say, well, well, which boy? Which, which one? And I said, oh, you know, Kevin Kringle. And she's like, oh, honey, he's fine. He can drive her home. Huh? Come on now. Because he, he they, they had formed an alliance, I believe. Oh, yeah. It's a long <laughs> game. So I was able to take her home, and when we got to her door, I asked her to go to our prom, our junior, senior. She said yes, and so from there we just Which I think dating. one of the there pictures, they, have a, they have a photo of our very, the first one, it was our first date. It's in the center screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's our first date right there. Oh, not that one, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, we that's changed later. clothes halfway through the date. <laughs> it's fine. But the first one, that was our first date. So that's how we met. And then the journey began. We dated four and a half years and were engaged on Valentine's midnight. I went down to Oral Roberts University, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, with a buddy of mine. Uh, we drove down from Illinois to surprise her. Um, with her and her friends, we went out to eat. I had her friends uh, arrange all the, s- the girls who didn't have someone to go out with for Valentine's Day. Um, I, again, I arranged it where they would all go out uh, to a certain restaurant where she did not know that my friend and I would show up. Uh, sh- she kept asking me to come down for Valentine's Day. I kept telling her I didn't have the ability to get away. So I was lying, but, you know, God forgives us. And uh, I showed up with a ring, and we were engaged at midnight to Valentine's that that you know, that night 23 years ago, and she said yes. We were married six and a half months later, dated four and a half years before that, and here we are. Here we are. So, today we're going to jump into relationships. Relationships are really important to God. I hope you know that. God is, we have a relational God. Do you understand that? Like, our God is interested not just in your service, but in your love and in your heart. You know, if you go all the way to the book of Revelation, which we won't go there first, if you go all the way to the book of Revelation, many times Jesus is speaking to the church and he's saying, I don't just look at your works, I see your heart. I see your heart. God wants our heart. Amen. 
And God is interested in what's going on on the inside, not just with Him, but also with one another. Our Bible is a relationship guide. It's a relationship book. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Matthew. We're going to go ahead and start there, Matthew chapter 22. I'll share where I started last week. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse, 20, or verse 37 through 39. Jesus was asked what was the most important commandment in the law of Moses, and he re- was responding in verse 37. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Last week, we talked about loving God with your heart, mind, and soul, and to love Him with your all. And we discussed that we love God passionately, not because we just sit there and force ourselves to be excited about God, but as we focus on His love for us. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4 that it's not that we loved Him, but that He loved us, right? He loved us first. Can I get an amen? He drew near to you while you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner, where there was nothing lovable about me. He pursued us. And when you begin to see God's love for you, this unconditional, this committed, this pursuing heart of God for us, then all of a sudden there's this love back saying, God, I'm not worthy of that. God, I, that, that blows me away. And it creates this worship back and it creates this, God, I love you with everything inside of me because of this intense love that you've placed upon me. And that's what we were talking about last week. But now I want to go to the second commandment in here, which is loving your neighbor as yourself, which I think is important for us, that, that God is looking at saying, I don't just want you to love me, I want you to love one another. I want you to have good relationships with the people in your life, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's your neighbor at work, whether it's someone that's even annoying you somewhere in this life, God is paying attention to our interaction with each other. It's important to God. And let me say this, we as believers must make it a priority to be great at relationships. We get to show the world. We get to lead the world in love. Are you understanding this? Amen. If we don't lead it, if we don't, if we don't become excellent at it, we can't leave it to the lost to show people how to love. Amen. Because first of all, we know how to love because we have the example of love in God and how He's loved us. Then we love others in that same way. Are you understanding this? My friends, the reason the world is full of darkness isn't because of just darkness, it's because the light needs to show up. Amen. The world has hate because those who know how to love haven't loved out loud the way we were called to love out loud. You can't just curse the darkness. We need to light up the night. Amen. And so that is, it's our responsibility to be the leaders when it comes to love, when it, when it comes to how to love mankind, how to love those that are unlovable, the difficult, the challenging, and then also how to love in relationships with those that are closest to us, which is also where the enemy comes in and tries to create all kinds of divides and division. But open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says it like this, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. We want to imitate our Heavenly Father. True. And as God has loved us, we want to imitate that. We want to put on that kind of love. We want to show the world who He is. Because we're God's children, we, we see what our Daddy, our Father is like, and then we want to be just like Him. We want to treat people the way He's treated us. Amen? 
whether that's your spouse, your children, your neighbor, your coworker, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you're dear children, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. You know, one of the areas in love that we can lead in is how to, we know how to lay our life down, to lay down our rights, to lay down things. The world doesn't know how to do that. You know, people don't know how sometimes to live that kind of sacrificial love, but that's the kind of love it takes, right? In any relationship to, to maybe you have the right to be offended, but you lay it down. Come on. You have the right to be upset, but you choose to forgive and turn the other cheek. You have the right to ignore them because they ignored you, but you lay those things down. Come on. See, we're, we're following our Father's example, and we're putting on love, and Christ came in, and He sacrificed Himself for us. So to make love work and to make relationships work, the idea of sacrifice is big. Let me just lay some foundation a little bit more. We're going to get into two things every relationship requires today when it comes to success from the Word. But I want to build some value in the area of relationships to show you that our Bible is a relational book, that God is a relational God and He cares about relationships. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, you can write it in your notes. The Bible tells us this, it is not good for man to be alone, therefore I will make a companion for him. God doesn't want you to live an isolated life. Come on. That's why I don't like this COVID thing so much where people are isolated and kept apart from another. We were created for community. We were created to be together. Amen. You need other people. You know, in this, it's not good. God said, you know, after the first day, it was good. Second day, it was good. Third day, it was good. And then this one time here, he says, not good that man should be alone. Sometimes we just limit that to a marriage relationship. But if you really look at what God is showing us here, he was saying, listen to this, it's not even okay for, you, for it just to be you and him. Some people say, I don't need anybody else in my life, just me and Jesus. Just me and God, that's all we need. God said that wasn't good for you. Come on. Adam was with God in the garden. Come on. And he had other animals. Some people say, I don't need other human beings. I just need me, God, and my dog, Fido. (laughs) That's my best friend. My friend, the Bible's telling you that's not good. Isolation's not good. Don't make up all kinds of excuses of why you're keeping people out, thinking that you're protecting yourself. You're doing harm to yourself. And by the way, they need you too. You need what's in them. They need what's in you. And we do not become the fullness of who we are in isolation. We even need the friction we create in each other's lives to perfect us. You need relationships. Our Bible is saying it's not good for you to be alone. But I also want to tell you that God celebrates the idea of marriage as well. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God is the designer and the creator of marriage. And as churches, it's important that we still hold the banner high and say we believe in godly marriage. And we believe that God wants marriages to prosper. And don't be afraid of the idea of marriage. I remember a couple I was working with a few years ago, and they were, in, they were divorced, and they were living together, and they didn't want to get married because both of their marriages had failed. But yet they're living together. And I began to describe to them, 
how it's not the idea or the covenant of marriage that was the reason their previous marriage failed. There was things underneath that God can heal and that God can guide you through, but just not putting the label of marriage or not making the commitment of marriage, it wasn't the idea of marriage that fell apart. Are you understanding this? The idea of covenant, the idea of commitment, the idea of publicly declaring, I choose this one and no other, that God designed us to make that kind of commitment one to another. We still believe in marriage. Can we just celebrate good, godly marriage? Amen. And even if you've had a challenge in the past and your, your first marriage didn't work out or whatever, I pray you don't hear any judgment on this today. But as we learn new skills and we learn new things, we still celebrate that God believes in marriage and that if you desire to be married again, that God would bless that future marriage and you wouldn't run from that idea. If you desire to be single for, for the next season of your life, then God bless that and He'll put other relationships in your life. Amen. But we will be a place that still champions for our next generation, our young people, that we believe in marriage and we believe God can make marriage better and better and better as the years go by. Amen. I don't like how American television teaches kids that marriage is just a bunch of people who end up hating each other. It's like they, they love each other when you're dating and then marriage ruins the fun. That is a lie. That is a lie. I enjoy Maria more now than I've ever enjoyed her in my life. We grow, just like your relationship with God. People who say your first year of Christianity is the best year, it's the most love you'll have for God, it's the most people you get saved because you're most passionate your first year, that's a lie. Every year I'm with God, I fall in love with Him more. And my life becomes more fruitful. We have to set that standard, amen. Set that expectation. Same thing with marriage. Every year you're with each other. Love may change. It's different. You get experience. There's more pressure on your life. But there's more memories and there's more battles won and there's more reasons to be in love with one another. The Bible is a relational book. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 25 through 27, that we are the body of Christ. That's how we relate one to another. Do you understand that God never tells you that you just by yourself can do it all? God puts gifts in each one of us. God puts talents in each one of us. He designed the church to require you to need someone else's giftings and anointings and for them to require yours. No wonder the devil wants to keep us offended and hurt because he wants to keep us apart. Because when we come together, we shine and we have the authority and all the gifts and all the callings and all the talents and all this corporate anointing together. That's why the enemy wants to keep us apart. But when he, we have to be aware of his devices and we have to pursue and press in and to keep our relationships one to another strong. Amen. We are the body of Christ. Relationships are a big deal. Matthew chapter 18, 19 says, two or more gather together, agreeing on any one thing. We are relational, my friends. We need each other. We require relationships. God designed us to be in agreement with one another. Galatians chapter 6, write these down. Look them up later. Verse 12, the Bible tells us to bear one another's burdens. Over and over again, you can go through your Bible. It's a relational book. Why? Because the author's a relational God. Come on. He cares about how you treat one another. He cares about what's going on on the inside. He cares about how you interact with each other. He literally designed us to have to get along and work together to get the job done. And he knew that was going to grow and develop us along the way. So two things we're going to jump into today. We're going to go ahead. Before you do that, oh, yeah, go ahead. just add, you know, it's, I love talking about relationships and just to echo what he was talking about 
we really don't have a choice in the matter about being good at relationships. There's not really a place in the Bible that gives us an out. Again, to echo what he said, the body of Christ, the family of God. But I was in worship this morning, and it was like I closed my eyes and I could just see Jesus, like that fire in his eyes, and, you know, the, the, the church that he's coming back for. And if the devil can get us, you know, when we're united, the Bible says that one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. Amen? Yeah. And so we are stronger together. It's not just a cute little tagline that's become famous. We are stronger together. When we're unified, there's strength in that. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there's power in that. And it's, I closed my eyes and it's like I could see Jesus and it's like his bride coming back for his bride. But I could see like this blanket. And you know how when you used a blanket for a long time and it begins to fray on an edge and like tear, pieces of it just begin to fall away. You know what I'm talking about? Can you kind of close your eyes and see that? Or if you have this blanket and just parts of it begin to, begin to fray away and it gets smaller and smaller. And what an attack of the enemy. What a, what a strategy of the enemy to get us to be like that blanket. Because when we're in disunity and when we're not great at relationships, even amongst each other, then we begin to pull away from one another. And, we, and we're not strong on our own. One of those little strands that was a part of the whole is not strong on its own. Yeah. But when they all come together, there's so much more that we can accomplish and there's so much more that we can do. And that's what Jesus is coming back for. That's the picture that he's, not, he's coming back for, not for all these individual strands that are unconnected. It's a body of Christ. It's his bride, which is all one. It's not individual. We are one. Amen? Yeah. And so, there's, so these messages, when we talk about this, yeah, it's powerful. But you know, it's, it's, it, it's powerful to talk about marriage. It's powerful to talk about relationships. And you can tell that God cares because all throughout the word of God are tools. You know, God is love, but then he tells you what that looks like. He, he tells us how to do this. He didn't leave us on our own. He's given us tools and all the things that we need for life and godliness. It's all in here. He's told us this is how we do this. It's important that we do this. It's important that we come together. It's important that we not let anything tear us apart. Amen. And to restore your hope, if you've been hurt by relationships of any kind, let the fact that the Bible is full of, of what love is and descriptions of this and tools and, and things to give you that he created a good thing. Amen. But just like other things in this world, like sin and other things come in, they try to you know, like to destroy what God created, but let it renew hope in you for what God created. What he created was good. Amen. And we dive into the word of God. We can, we can, um, we have what we need to do that. Just, we got a bunch of notes, so we'll get into these back and forth. Uh, just two things we want to teach you when it comes to all relationships. Um, but that word, that phrase, that Calvary, because remember this, we're in a journey right now. This is who we are. This is what we do. I just speak this over us as a church, and I make it part of our mission as well. This is why love is a big deal, love, reach, and equip. We will be a church that is great at relationships. Can you just put your faith in agreement Amen. on that? We'll be a church that is great at relationships. Not just our relationship with God. Um, a lot of times we just focus that way, but also this way. We'll be a church that's great on how we relate to our spouse, how we relate to children, how we relate to our coworkers, how we relate to the lost. 
but that also involves practicing. It involves, it involves growth. Yeah. Makes sense? Even if we're not great right now, maybe you have something in the back of your mind, well, <laughs> I know that person over there, and they're not great at it. <laughs> and they're thinking the same thing about you, so that's pretty cool. Anyway, um, it doesn't matter where we are right now. What matters is what the Word of God prophesies over us that we have potential to become. Amen. I mean, God always speaks up to us about who we will be and where we're going, what He sees our capacity. In Calvary, we are a church that is great at relationships. We're great at loving one another. And we're great at overcoming challenges together. And we're great at coming together over things rather than letting the devil pull us apart. Amen? Amen. I just felt very strongly that that sentence today is going to be the winning sentence. We are great at relationships. So we're going to talk about two things in every relationship that is required. Write these down in your notes. Planting and protecting. Planting and protecting. These are the two key ideas, the two big ideas that we want to talk about today in every relationship. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. And if you're new to the Bible, I know I rattle off a lot of verses. I want to invite you into the church. Um, nobody's, you know, looking over your shoulder wondering, do you know how to use your Bible or not? It's practice. Don't be intimidated by this big book. Basically, the Bible's broken up into books, like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, that's the name of the book, then chapters, then verses. You can always go to the table of contents to find these things out. But we just want to always throw those statements out there on occasion, because there's new people using their Bibles all the time. In the New Testament, there's a book called Galatians. It's a, it's a church that the Apostle Paul was writing to, and he talks about this idea of planting or sowing. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. I'm going to read it to you from a different translation than normal. It's the J.B. Phillips translation. So this is how he wrote it. He said, a man's harvest in life depends entirely on the seeds he sows. Say this after me. My seed. My seed. My harvest. My harvest. My seed. My seed. My harvest. My harvest. There's one person you can control in every relationship. Who is it? It's you. The Bible doesn't say that your harvest in life will depend on all the seeds other people sow or don't sow. It says, what are you doing in the relationships? And that's what we're talking about today. We're taking responsibility for who you want to be, for who I want to be as a husband. I have choices, the type, the type of husband I want to be, how I want to love her, how I want to love my children, how I want to be with my coworkers, and how I want to be, how I want to show up at work, or how I want to show up even for you here today. My seed, my harvest. Too many times the devil wants us to get us focused on what other people are doing, and then you respond according to how they act. That is not the biblical way. The Bible says we do unto others as we would have wanted them to do to us. Come on now. So you make the right choice. You plant the right seed. Amen. I have these two chairs here. And I often let myself use my imagination and think in the future of who I'm becoming. So like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, imagine sometimes, you know, a long distance from now when Maria and I are, you know, up in years and things like that, and maybe we're sitting on a port somewhere, you know, or on a beach somewhere. Hallelujah. We live in Florida. Thank God. Anyways, and I think to myself, who's going to be sitting in this chair 30 years from now. Not just who is in Kevin Kringle or Maria Kringle, but what type of a person is going to be sitting in this chair? What type of a relationship will I have with my wife 30 years into the future? And what the Bible tells me is this, that I have the power 
to sow seeds into that future that I desire. So if I desire a relationship with Maria to continue to grow and to thrive, then I'm going to have to plant the right seeds to have that future. So when we get offended at each other, we get upset with each other, and we don't see it eye to eye, in that moment I have a decision to make. What seed do I want to sow? Am I going to sow a seed of coming together in unity, or am I going to sow a seed of rejection to her, or a seed of, 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 of anger just leaving it that way to her? You understand, the, the future we show up in isn't accidental. It's a result, a result of the seeds we sow. Come on. It, it's not like, I don't know how we got here. Well, if we're real honest, we got here because of the seeds we sowed. And it's not even the future in your life depends on the seeds the devil sows. So many times we focus on all the seeds the devil's doing to persecute us or to get in, get in our way with other people. The Bible tells you your harvest in life is contingent entirely on the seeds you sow. Your seed, your harvest. Come on. The devil can throw all the bad seed in your way as he wants, but you don't have to take those seeds and let them get rooted in your heart. Amen. Your your spouse, your children, your co-workers, they sow seeds, but you get to choose what seed you sow it. That's a lot of responsibility, a lot of power, isn't it? And so I want you to envision yourself, even when it comes to your children, because we're talking about all kinds of relationships. I want to have a close relationship with my children 20 years from now. And again, I can't control their choices, but I, I can control mine. So I focus on what seeds I'm sowing. So if I want to have a close walk and a close relationship with my children in the future, I need to make sure I'm doing what I can to sow into that relationship now, like, like going on one-on-one -on -one lunch dates with my kids or doing something. And too many times in ministry or in business, we've all, we've all been there, we're so busy, we're so busy, we're so busy that we don't sow those seeds of relationship and we just kind of let those years go by. We must sow seeds towards the relationships we want, which means if you have to say no to the overtime, you have to say no to certain promotions, you have to say, because I don't want that promotion more than I want this with my, ch my children. Does that make sense? This is success. And that's hard and that's challenging, but I don't know about you. When I was a kid growing up, there was this song they used to play in church that terrified me. It was called Cats in the Cradle. <laughs> Do you remember that song? I have nightmares over this song. Because it was like this guy was working, 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 and his kid wanted to play with him, and his kid wanted to play with him, and he was like, someday I'll, I'll make time, I'll make time, I'll make time. And then the kid grew up, and then finally when the dad slowed down his life, he wanted to have a relationship with his kid, and his kid was like, I'm busy, I got stuff to do. And his dad never got around to having the relationship that he wanted with his kid. See, seed harvest, seed harvest. Is this making sense? So in every relationship, what kind of relationship? Imagine that. Use your imagination. If you want a loving relationship, sow seeds. What seeds do I need to sow to my children, in my spouse, even in your friendship circles? What, what do I want in my friendship circles? What seeds do I need to sow to have the kind of friends around me that I want to have? If you sow negativity all the time, you're probably going to have friends around you that are all just like you because birds of a feather flock together. Come on now. And if they're all negative... You could probably point a finger back at yourself and say, you're negative all the time too. If you want to be around positive people that are getting things done, that are dreaming big dreams, that are achieving goals, loving God, then you need to also make sure you're presenting that and you're, you're, you're planting those seeds in your own life and in who you are. So what kind of relationships do you want? 
How do you want those things to show up in the future? What seeds do I need to start sowing to get to the relationships I want? If I want love in there, I want mercy in there, I want grace in there, I want kindness in there, I sow those seeds. Here's the next question. What seeds do I need to stop sowing? You, it's, it's great to make a list to say, this is what I want my marriage to look like 20 years from now. This is what I want my relationship with my kids to look like, what I want my friendship circles to look like t- 10 years, 5 years, whatever from now. I want them to have love. I want them to have energy in them. I want them to have passion in them. I want them to have joy and kindness. So you can say, I want these things. So I'm going to start sowing seeds to make those things. But then what seeds do I need to stop sowing? Which means if I keep flying off the handle, if I keep holding grudges and resentment, if I, I need to stop doing that. And God's Word gives us the, the, the pathway out of those things. So what seeds do I need to start sowing? What seeds do I need to stop sowing as we move into um, those relationships in the future? Amen. We're going to keep talking about being planted, but as I was really praying about this, or planting seeds, the idea of planting seeds and the, the outcome that you want is powerful. Amen? Because you can see that to be true in pretty much every area of our life. Even your children, as, as the seeds that you speak into them, um, they, they, they latch onto that, don't they? To, to those seeds and it begins to affect how they even see themselves. Amen? So it's powerful because you begin to sow into the person that you're around. But I began to, to think about this and I thought, you know... Yes, a man's harvest in life is linked entirely to the seeds he sows. The seeds that we sow bring us to the harvest that we're heading towards. Amen? We've talked about that. But my question was this. Um, how many of you have ever heard somebody say, and you don't have to raise hands because it could be you or somebody seated next to you, but somebody say, well, that's just who I am. I can't change. Not going to change. That's just, can't change me. That's just who I am. That's just exactly who I was. And I want to challenge that just a little bit because if that personality isn't necessarily fully in line with the Word of God. The Word of God definitely tells us that we can grow and we're being transformed. Amen? So there is always change possible. So when the way that we act and the way that the seeds that sow that come out of our heart and our spirit come out of us can be changed. Amen? You don't have to stay the same way that you've always been. You can change. You can change the seeds that you sow. I have an illustration and pretend that this little vase is a glass. Okay, and we're going to take a drink. And there's obviously what's inside of the glass. It's not a trick question. Go ahead. What's inside of the glass? Water. Yes, I did this little illustration with youth. So if you're in here and you're from youth, you, you remember when we did this together. If I were to bump this vase like this, what just came out? Why? Because that's what's in it. But I want orange juice to come out of the vase. Why can't orange juice come out of the vase? Because it's not in there. So whatever's on the inside of me when bumped is going to be what comes out, even if I want something different. So not only do we get to think about in relationships, we think about the seeds that we're sowing, but where do those seeds come from? They come from what's sown into our heart and the soil that we're in. The Bible says in Ephesians, he talks about being rooted and grounded in love. And I think of a plant and the soil that a plant goes into, all the nutrients in that soil begin to be absorbed by the roots of that plant and it affects what the plant looks like. Amen? So the soil that we put our our roots down in begin to affect what's on the inside of us. And we know that in relationships, often our cup gets bumped. Can I get an amen? I mean, I know that he would never mean to bump my cup, ever. 
But in the rare chance that he may push a button and my cup gets bumped, what comes out of my mouth will be a very good indication of the soil and what I've been feeding my heart. That's good. So it takes it even further to personal responsibility of what am I filling my heart with? What am I planting in my heart? Am I planting seeds of offense? Am I hanging on to bitterness? Am I sitting there and focusing primarily on our relationship, all the things that I don't like about that person and feeding on that and beginning to fill my heart with why I don't like them, why I'm so offended? Am I watching things on TV that tell me that this is, who, these, this is what I love most and so that I don't like this person? Am I comparing to, some, to something else? You know, the Bible tells us to stop and to remember the goodness of God, doesn't it? We're to pause and we're to think about how faithful and how awesome he is. Amen? Well, God's perfect, so there's nothing wrong with him. And so if it's easy for us to get distracted and to forget the goodness of God, and he's perfect, he's never done anything wrong, but we still have to pause and remember how much more an imperfect individual. Yeah. So it's very difficult for us to begin to, 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 to um, expect different seeds to come out if we're feeding on negativity, if we're feeding on fear, if we're feeding on offense, if we're feeding ourselves and it's not rooted and grounded in love. What's the soil? What are we feeding our hearts? What are we feeding our spirits? What are we feeding into us? Are we sitting there listening to the gossip about other people? Yep. Are we assuming, just assuming something about somebody without finding out the truth? Are we making up stories and just kind of going down the line? Are we just focusing on all the ways that that person hurt us and offended us and we got irritated with them? Are we stewing on the things that we don't like about the way our kids treated us or our spouse has treated us? What are we feeding on rather than coming back to the Word of God and filling our hearts with love, filling our hearts with the truth of His Word? Amen? So that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. So that those seeds begin to be full of life and full of love. You know, God speaks up to us. So then we're in relationship with other people. Then we can begin to say, you know what? You, I see greatness on the inside of you. I honor the word of God. I honor God's call on your life. I honor the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. I honor you as an individual, as a child of God, who lo God loves you so much, so I honor you and I value you. Even if we disagree, even if you've maybe hurt me, I forgive you. I walk in love. He tells us how to walk in love because he laid out a great example of what that even looks like for us. Amen? Amen. So that's planting, planting, planting. Go ahead and you celebrate that. Planting, planting, planting. I want to talk to you about protecting now. Open your Bibles to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, some of you are already ahead of me, you know, on 1 Corinthians 13. You're like, oh, he's going to the love chapter. How expected. Let me ask you this. Why do you think the love chapter is in the Bible? Because we struggle with it, as Pastor Manny just said. That's right. Think about that. Why would God have to sit here and put in the word, love is patient? 
Love is kind. Stop it. Stop your attitude. Stop being so rude. Love is kind. Right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It is not proud. It is not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It is not irritable. Keeps no records of wrong. You know, we take for granted these things. We hear them at weddings and we see them on coffee mugs and pillowcases and all kinds of stuff. But listen, the reason this is in here is because we need the reminder because people are going to offend us. People are going to hurt us. We're going to get our hopes dashed. We're going to be disappointed. Come on. First of all, God is showing you how he loves you. Praise God. God is saying, this is the way I treat you. Remember, be imitators of God like dear children. And he knows we have a journey with this. But this goes back to Calvary. We're going to be really good at relationships. I don't know Calvary's history very well. I've, I've been here about a year now. And I've you know, heard, you know, heard the journey a bit here and there. So I'm going to talk more broadly about church because I've been in church a long time. And as a presbyter in Illinois, I've seen dozens of churches. I've visited dozens of churches. And I've heard church talk. And I've grown up in church a long time. And so I use this illustration. Church, corporate church, not Calvary necessarily, but corporate church, we get offended way too easy. You can go through revival after revival throughout American history, just American history, and realize one of the biggest reasons revivals stop isn't because God ran out of power. It's not because souls stop wanting to get saved. It's because the Christians stop getting along. Yeah. The devil knows how to destroy a move of God. He gets people offended at each other. You see that? So Calvary, I speak this over us. We will be great at relationships. I don't care what our journey, your journey, this house's journey, any church you've come from's journey, we set our expectations on God is going to help us both will and do His good pleasure. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. That we're going to lead by example on how to be a church with a bunch of human beings that mess it up sometimes. Nobody's perfect, not even Pastor Kevin and Pastor Maria, that we make mistakes and we, we don't always walk out of a meeting having said the perfect thing, because I am not Jesus. Sometimes I get out of a meeting, and I'm like, why did I say that? But in the moment, it just came out. Same thing with my kids sometimes. I'm not perfect, and there's times I go to my kids, and I just sit there and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So no one's asking you to be perfect, but everyone's asking you to be honest and real and genuine and to fight for relationships. Do you see that? That's all I'm asking you today is to shift your posture from letting the devil push you apart from the very people that God has turned you into his body that'll make you powerful, that'll make you successful if we can stick together and be unified, to stop letting the devil push you away from people and to force yourself to fight to stay friends and unified and brothers and do what the Word of God tells you to do. What, what? I don't even know if the devil knows how to deal with the church like that because this trick has worked so many times in so many churches. All I have to do is get them offended and they'll just leave and go to another church and then get offended again and leave and they'll never be a body and they'll never be unified and there'll be no power. All I have to do is tick somebody off 
And they'll do the rest. They'll tell themselves stories about how that person did that. Because the truth is, someone may do one little thing, but it's the story you tell in your own head that makes it worse. You know what I'm saying? And you build your own story, and the devil, all he's got to do is make some suggestions about somebody in your life, and he just knows how to just destroy a move of God. What if a church decided to walk in the opposite spirit? What if a church said, I will not be overcome by evil. I will overcome evil by doing good. And I will fight for that very relationship. Yes, that person's making me mad right now. Yes, they annoy me. And yes, they were wrong. But I choose to lay down my right to be offended. Yes. I choose to lay down my right to be angry. And I'm going to go and I'm going to make them love me. And I'm going to love them. And I'm not, you can't get rid of me. The devil doesn't know what to do with people like that, right? He's going to sit there and say, what just happened? I made him offended and everything. I told him stories. He was already ready to go. He was yelling at them in his head. Come on. And you just... Here's a cherry pie. <laughs> just start there. Say, Pastor Kevin, that's not genuine. Man, just do it. I used to have a mentor in my life said, oh, how did she say it, honey? Do you remember? It was, uh, oh, right actions. Bring right emotions. Right actions bring right emotions. Not the other way around. Not right emotions. Too many people wait to feel love before they act in love. You do acts of love and feelings come. You begin to bless. You begin to praise. You begin to help. You begin to forgive. You begin to, and then all of a sudden, feelings return. Happens in marriage too, by the way. Too many times people wait to feel love before they act love. And I can use that illustration, and you can take that. But, you know, um, there were times, Maria loves flowers. And there were times I was just busy, I was just tired, whatever. It just didn't have the feelings of, I feel like buying flowers. But she would do all these wonderful things to help me know how to love her. And she would say things like, did you hear that Susie's husband bought her flowers? Girls, I thought I, I, thought I was like helping him out really good here. That didn't happen so much. And my response was, no, I didn't hear that Susie's husband bought her flowers. I didn't know what that meant when she was telling me about Susie's husband. I was like, good on him, you know? Way the to girl, go, the Susie's girls know husband. what that meant, right? Girls, we knew what that meant. Well done, Susie's husband. Right, that's, that's the end of the conversation. That's all that's being said here. I'm a simple man. And then the next statement is, you know, flowers would look beautiful in our house. My response, yeah, you're right. Sure they would. Sure they would. This actually happened, by the way. I'm sure they would. Finally, she grabbed me by the face and she said, I want flowers. My response, why didn't she say so? Right? Why didn't she say so? Where, how did I even get on that? <laughs> talking about right emotions or right actions. Right actions, right. So here's the thing. Later on, I learned how much she liked flowers. So I, when even in my busy days or something, I remember going and buying flowers when I didn't feel like buying flowers. And then as I was driving home, 
I was so excited and couldn't wait to give her the flowers. See, right actions created right emotions. You don't wait to feel love before you act in love. Love isn't a feeling, it's action. You act in love and you begin to see those emotions come together. Amen? Amen. Planting and protecting. Real quick, I just want to share one verse and it's this. It's in Psalms, it's chapter 133 and it's verses 1 through 4. It says this, How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony, or unity, is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life after last, everlasting. That scripture, in other translations, it says, in the place of unity is where God commands the blessing. So no wonder the enemy would love to attack the place of unity. And our job is to protect that at all costs. Amen. And again, God has given us the framework for that. He showed us what love looks like, he know, which tells us if we say, how do I walk in love? Well, he showed us how to walk in love because he gave us what love looks like. Amen. He's given us what we need to walk in love. Amen. And to protect that. So we'll pause there and move on to the last scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says a person standing alone can be defeated but two can stand back to back and conquer three is better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken so there's this illustration that the lord gave us years ago and come on around honey and here's what happens too many times because remember, we're talking about protecting. You're in charge of sowing into the relationships you care about and the relationships that God's put in your life. You have to sow the right seeds. Sowing, but protecting. You have to protect any relationship that God trusts you with. It's not just going to protect itself, which means you need to be aware. God planted Adam in the garden, he said, to guard and to keep it. So God put him in this beautiful Garden of Eden. But God gave Adam a job. Protect this garden that I gave you. You know, you need to protect the garden that God's given you. Your marriage, your children, even the, the, the church that God has given you. Yes, because God has given us a church. Given us this beautiful opportunity to come together. And we have to protect it. Amen? God's given you great friendships. Protect them. So plant the right seed and protect them. Keep the wrong stuff out. Keep the right stuff in. But when it comes to relationships and journey, I like the idea of the sword because a lot of it has to do with what's coming out of our mouth. And like Jesus in Revelation, there's a sword coming out of his mouth. It's the word of God. Amen? God made your words powerful for a reason. Sometimes we, we think James is condemning us that our, our tongues are a fire and who can tame the tongue? Fire isn't a bad thing when it's used in right ways. Amen. The Bible's trying to tell you your mouth is very powerful and what you do with your words and what you do is important. Seeds, by the way, in your notes, I didn't say this, but seeds, by the way, you write this in your notes, seeds are words and actions. 
So you sow seeds of words and you sow right actions. You sow actions. But in life, what the devil wants to get us to do, let's say as a married couple, come on up, honey. What the devil wants to get us to do when we go through difficult time and difficult seasons, disappointment happens. Because how many of you know disappointment is going to happen in anybody's life? Anybody? Has anyone been disappointed ever in life? Would you raise your hand if, if that's you? Most of you. Okay. The others, if you please write a book and let us read your book. <laughs> disappointment happens. People get offended. We all get offended. Challenge, people lose jobs, right? Uh, financial stress can come in, things yeah. like that. And here's what the stress, devil tries anxiety, to do. anxiety, fear, all the pressure just comes yeah. in those moments of life. Stress, anxiety, fear. What happens is the devil wants us to do this. He wants us to go from being back to back, right? Because that's what Ecclesiastes said. Two back to back can conquer, right? Why? Because we have our eyes on who the real enemy is. We have our eyes on his schemes, his strategies, and what he's doing right now. And we're not going to let him win. But what the devil wants us to do is to do this. And so we're so busy fighting each other, husband, wife, coworker, church member, so busy fighting each other that you're wide open for the enemy to come and to steal, kill, and to destroy. You know, we just have to be wise of the devil's devices. Why do we keep doing this? Why? Because this is, this, is, this, is, this is opening up the door for your family to be taken out, for your church to be taken out, for your calling in life to be taken out, because you're fighting the people in your life that God gave to you to be your partners. When two or more gather together, touching any one thing, I'm right there in the midst, when they pray, right? This is my prayer partner. This, with this partner, we should be able to overcome. Yeah, I lost a job, but you know what? I don't need to fight her because I'm angry about losing a job. I come home, I fight the very one that we could say, God, we may have lost a job, but we thank you there's a hope and a future. And so we agree together for the next job. Don't, yeah. But we think it's normal. I'm just angry at my situation in life. I'm angry at my situation in life, and I'm coming home angry, and I'm going to bark at the very person that is a built-in prayer partner, my built-in co-laborer. It's the strategy of the devil, my friend. And we have to expose it, and we have to come together. I remember when the biggest challenge in our life happened when we found out our son was going to be born with cerebral palsy. There's hurt, there's anger, there's fear, there's disappointment, there's even anger towards God, right? All these different things that happen. But in that moment, the devil would have loved for us, and in our journey with the multiple hospital visits and surgeries and things, too many families fall apart because of the pressure of special needs and, or, or someone going through a long sickness. Or You understand how all this happens in life. And too many times they fall apart because they're so busy letting the enemy make the other person in their life their enemy rather than coming together saying, together we can get through anything. Right? So the same thing with the church. Like, you're my brother, you're my sister. We're not going to let the enemy tear us apart because back to back, we're going to overcome. Back to back, we're going to overcome. And I refuse to be, to be um, pulled apart. You are my brother. You are my, the body of Christ. I will not let the enemy drive me away from you. I will deal with this resentment. I will deal with this unforgiveness. I will come to you as my brother, as my sister, 
and I will share with you what's in my heart. We will come together, we will pray, and we will stay unified. Or if you lose a job, or you have some sort of sickness, something happened in your life, you, the people that God's put in your life, you stand with them and you don't give yourself the permission to attack one another. They are not the enemy. Is this making sense? Didn't anyone say anything? Planting, what are you planting? But then we have to be responsible to protect. Protecting, protecting what God's given us. Be wise. Don't let the enemy drive a wedge between you and your partner, between you and your prayer partners, you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to pray. Maria, why don't you lead us in prayer? You know, I encourage us, unity is a powerful thing. That's why the scripture says that's where God commands the blessing. Because the opposite of unity means there's strife, there's bitterness, there's envy, there's resentment. All those things in the Bible talks about that being a place where every evil thing begins to stir and begin to work. And the devil really does try to divide us. Because if you've ever seen animals out in the wild, when one of the pack one of the animals gets removed from the pack, then what happens? They're vulnerable. And that's the one that gets taken out. But when we come together and we protect unity, you know, it's interesting, the devil tries to get us to turn on one another. And we begin to truly think that the other person is our problem. But the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Amen? So the other person isn't our problem. We come together with imperfect people. You know, God knew that we would all be imperfect. But he still chose to set it up so that we needed one another. He knew. He knew that we lived in a fallen world. He knew that there would be people that wouldn't be able to do it perfectly but he still chose to build it this way. But he gave us the tools in love to be able to overcome, amen? And to be able to walk in love. Amen? He knew. So I don't know about you, but I've realized that I'd rather do it his way, amen? If he said it's better for me to be in a body, it's better for me to be connected. It's better for me to contend for relationships. It's better for me to choose to walk in love. It's better for me to take my eyes off of fighting the people around me and begin to link arms with them. If he said that it's the body of Christ, if he said it's the family of God, if he said to do it this way, then I want to do it his way. And that can be uneasy for some of us because some of us have experienced some real hurts. So it doesn't mean 
that there's not hurt and that we ignore that. It just means that we're choosing to do it his way. We're choosing to trust him. We're choosing to come back to him and give that to him. Amen. And we're saying, God, I, as far as it concerns me, I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to bring this to you. Amen. He, he's going to walk us through that, but I'm not going to hang on to bitterness. I'm not going to hang on to resentment. I'm not going to foster strife. I'm not going to walk because that only leads to my destruction anyway. It doesn't have a positive outcome. Those seeds that I let sow and build up in my heart, they're not going to take me to freedom. They're going to lead me down a path that's sowing seeds that I don't want to go. I want to sow the seeds of life. I want to sow God's seeds because that's going to have the outcome I want. Amen. So we're going to pray today, and I love that we get to declare over Calvary that we are going to be great at relationships, because that is so fun, you guys. When we walk in love, and we get to walk in unity, and we're praying with one another, and we're beginning to come into agreement, and we're loving one another, that's so much more fun than walking the opposite, right? Amen? It's exciting to walk God's way. It's exciting to be in a place where God says, I command the blessing in there, in a place of unity. I, get to, I command the blessing of God in there. Amen? There's unity, there's love, and like we were saying earlier, the devil doesn't know what to do with the body of Christ when they come together. Amen? They're not going to let petty differences pull them apart. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.